and welcome to this episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Ari Shah. Today, I'm really excited to have Reese Chowdhury and Chris Mansfield with me. Uh, we're going to be talking about raising in a bear market, how to be capital efficient and not spend the money the VCs give you, uh, the VC founder relationship and the fact that it lasts longer than the average UK marriage, uh, their advice for founders who are trying to break ground today, uh, Y Combinator and much more. Looking forward to this one. Hello and welcome to Nothing Ventured with me, Ari Shah. Today, I am super excited to have with me Reese Chowdhury, founding partner at Concept Ventures, uh, a pre-seed fund based out of London in the UK, and Chris Man Mansfield, co-founder of Good Course, a mobile-first micro-learning platform. It's great to have you here with me today. Thanks so much. So I want to jump right in. It'd be great to understand from you, Chris, how it was that you first came across Concept uh, and started talking to Reese and the team over there. Because I'm guessing, uh, given that their fund only sort of launched last year, uh, you'd have been sort of pretty early on in terms of their uh, access to founders and, and to early stage ventures that they were looking to invest in. Yeah, of course. Well, it was um, a convulsion time, October 2021. Uh, we as a company had launched uh, the first version of our product had our early users and we're just starting conversations with a range of angel investors around raising our first uh, round of capital and actually um, a recent team prior to launching concept in its current form had been very active with a previous smaller fund in the space as well and there's actually an introduction from a, um, one of our investors I respect hugely uh, to Reese and Ariel in the, the concept team that, that led to us first speaking and um, the, the recommendation was very strong and the initial conversations certainly didn't disappoint so uh, Reese now came across as people who have kind of operational experience themselves which is always welcome and I'd say rare in the VC space uh, but also on top of that came across as very genuine and uh, founder-focused people, they clearly want the best for us and, and also to enable us to do our jobs as best we can. They, they have little interest in imposing their opinion or views where um, they're not necessarily needed or wanted. So um, yeah, a great first impression and super glad to have partnered since then. Amazing. And and Reese, like it strikes me that there are very few pre-seed sort of funds or dedicated pre-seed funds here in the UK. And we'll come on to that uh, maybe in a little bit. But I, I'd be super interested to understand from you, given that, again, it was probably one of the early businesses uh, that you were looking at for concepts or even, uh, you know, the, the, the prior sort of uh, vehicle that you're using. What was it that really uh, attracted you to Chris and the proposition at Good Course? I mean, you talk uh, talk about being sort of founder led and founder first, which a lot of VC certainly do but I, I i get the impression from people i've spoken to that that really is the case so i'd love to understand what it was that kind of really got your attention when you started speaking to chris and and the team yeah no it's, it's a really great question i think that chris uh, epitomizes you know a lot of the kind of tick boxes we look for i think on a number of levels i think of this the whole perception in vc is like they're like VCs generally are like oracles in in their nature, that they're oracle stock pickers, they're oracle, you know, people pickers. And actually it's just fundamentally not true in any capacity. Uh, so let's let's demiss de that for a start. I think that um, particularly at the pre-seed, and Chris will vouch for this as we talk about it on the board many times, that companies change a lot right between like like pre-seed and a series a round they pivot three times they have different iterations different elements of their product but what is consistent is the people and so most vc firms will look at the people and say hey that person built a great company that's in my portfolio 
they must do the same if they have this kind of qualities, which inevitably leads to a lot of problems that we see in the VC industry with, you know, lack of diversity and there's the stats are all for them. You know, me and Chris chat about that a lot. And I think what people should be doing is taking a more systematic approach to understanding who people are and do they have those characteristics that make great founders and paying more attention and more systematic processing to, to, to that. So that's what we do. I said, if you look at, and, and, and Chris has proved us right, I think, in a lot of ways. And Omar, his co-founder, who, who does deserve a really, really good shout out as well. Both of them today, together as a combined team have those traits that we look for. So great leadership, great vision, ability to take risk, resilience, problem solving. And there's lots of nuances, particularly around your interactions with, with, with the team. Um, and I think that um, Chris and Omar, actually, I, I can honestly say this to the best kind of like monthly reporting at probably in our whole portfolio and the most consistent. And, you know, one of the things that we look back at our portfolio is like who in, in our interactions to like investing in that company, the quality of people's answers, the speed of their answers, and subsequently their reporting schedule is almost match up nearly perfectly with like the correlation of their performance as a company. Like, and so like we take a lot, I'm just giving a very small example of that. And, you know, we've used all of these things that we've learned in terms of like characteristics, behavior, personality, and we test that through our questioning. And Chris will probably know, we ask some very random questions to, you know, like during our process. And I think that, you know, once we saw, you know, the team and the dynamic and the fact that they worked together before and they had this really great relationship and they had ticked a lot of those boxes. I think it was really, um, you know, impactful for us on the personality, on the personality dynamics. And then secondly, I think obviously what they were attacking, I think Chris was, and Omar were really, really passionate about the problem, which is a bit of a cliche, I, I, I know, but I think once you've um, experienced something like we've been, you know, Chris and me have both been in those corporate jobs where every year they send you this like 50, everyone just clicks through it. They just click through it and get it done, like these annual kind of things. And I think Chris was, you know, really understood like that just can't be the way we do this going forward and really was like passionate about doing that. So I think a com to summarize a combination of problem set, understanding that in a lot of detail and, and 80, 90% on who they are, how they interacted, how we analyze them as people. Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there. Uh, I want to talk about leadership and resilience. Uh, definitely want to talk about micro learning and ed tech because that's something that's very dear to my heart as well. But actually, the first question I have for Chris is what was the most random question that Reese and the guys uh, asked you, if you can remember? I won't remember. Casting the mind back. I, I won't remember the exact specifics of, of any um, that was that wording. I remember a couple were around, I think Ariel, um, one of um, Reese's colleagues, had asked a couple of questions on a call, uh, sort of like how it was almost like you know, being like an inter interview where it's like, give me a, like, oh, at your previous company, how did you kind of approach what seemed like quite an unusual or just random part of like execution at a previous startup, which in hindsight was clearly a smart way of asking, how do you handle yourself and keep laser focus during a difficult uncertain period, which is a good question to ask, but seems somewhat random in the moment, right? Yeah, de definitely not your typical VC question, which is yeah. which is probably more aligned with how do you go up and to the right, right? Um, and, <laughs> and so look, I want to touch on leadership and resilience, two of the words uh, that Reese you used just now. Uh, and the reason I want to pick up on those specifically is the last 12 months, 
for anyone that's been operating in startup world, unless they've had their head buried in the sand or had raised like a really large round in the, over the last couple of years, it cannot have escaped um, most people that it's been a really tough fundraising environment. Um, and resilience is, is definitely a key factor amongst founders when, especially when they're trying to fundraise, but, you know, even beyond, because obviously if you've got to build a business pivot multiple times whilst you're doing it, you know, there are going to be uh, a lot of different things that can go wrong, will go wrong and often do go wrong. So I, mm. I just wanted to get a feel from both of you. What was it like fundraising during that period, both as, as a founder trying to fundraise, but also I, I'm assuming, you know, um, as a VC trying to also make introductions um, so that, you know, the, the, the founders that you're working with can close out the wider round or, you know, have, um, you know, potential leads for, for future rounds. How, how did you guys, uh, how did you guys navigate that? And, and, you know, what support were you able to give Reese to, to Chris uh, and, and Chris, like, what was your experience of the whole thing? Yeah, sure. I mean, on my side, so we did our pre-seed round in October 21, so, so pre the, the kind of market turndown. For us, the, the kind of, um, I guess, more material event to, to talk about is we got into Y Combinator. We're currently just started the W23 batch, and um, the application process was last end of October, roughly time. Yeah. And uh, that was where recent team were really helpful with regards to how we kind of position the problem we're solving. And also, can we speak, and we'll get into I'm sure in more detail shortly, but YC heavily index on the founding team as as Risa described so far. And in this current market in particular, more so than, than should we say, um, more um, hot markets, is it even more significant that the founding team you're backing have probably a decent grasp of a good problem they're solving, but actually the ability to be resilient and execute phenomenally well consistently for a long time in this market more than any other is that is that important. So yeah, for us, it wasn't a, a sort of full um, price round in the last 12 months, but but the YC application process, um, one where sort of recent team support was really helpful. Yeah, and Reese, so then from your side uh, and you know whether it was Good Course or, or, or other portfolio companies, like how, how have you been able to support them during this sort of period where obviously you're a new fund, uh, you know, you're, you're also making your mark. I'm sure you have, you know, inundated with uh, pitch decks. I, I think I sent you mine a few times, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, you know, no, but like, I mean, all, all, all in all seriousness, like how, how do you, how do you, uh, how can you help and what advice would you give to founders that are trying to navigate? And I, I, I have a feeling that 2023 is going to be, you know, as bad, if not worse, potentially in some, in some respects. So yeah. What, what advice would you have out there? I think, I think advice is very, uh, I think, you know, I, I, I think, and as Chris knows, we, we aren't the, uh, I would say advice giving firm. Sure. I think we, I would like to call ourselves like a problem solving firm. Um, and so Chris will probably testify to the fact that we aren't the kind of firm that says, you know, here's, we're going to do all these 16,000 things and we're going to do like help you hire, help you do your product, help you do this. And, and that's actually this, why this relationship works really well. It's like, you know, we're completely on WhatsApp, like all the time. I think Chris will probably mention like, we like message at random times at like and very quickly. And so I, I think that, um, I think if there were some advice to lean on, I think it's it's to be open at all times with people around you. They're here to help, um, and they can really move the needle um, in specific circumstances. And I think the communicate overly communicating is like not a problem. I think there's so many founders who, you know, are afraid to afraid to lose investors money and so they hide behind things and they and they just they you don't hear from them for like like you know 
two three quarters and you're like well what's happening you can't get hold of them and you know like we we're in a business of like making risky bets and some aren't going to work out like i think i think people if they take away that kind of fear and I think in, in Europe, we have this kind of reputational fear of like losing people money. No one's going to ever talk to us again yeah. kind of thing. And I think I think that we need to move away, away, away from that. And I think so my advice would be overly communicate, be incredibly adaptable to the situation that you're in. I think the the founders in our portfolio that don't either seize on the upside, you know, that in the case of a bull market where you're able to raise um, or on the downside, not being able to pivot the business, change the business, um, make cuts, um, change the business model, change whatever. I think those are the ones that I think have been struggling and will struggle. I think almost it's a good natural selection process that's happening over a very, very high bull market, which which inevitably would have corrected at some point, which it has. And I think this year will be the year of sensibility founders taking longer times to speak to VCs, um, you know, and, and a great example Chris will probably talk about is actually, I think Y Combinator have actually reduced their batch size for, the, for this, this, um, which is, you know, which is, you know, if you, you heard Sam Altman in 2019 was yeah. his, you know, I was listening to his podcast before he said, we're just going to scale Y Combinator. Everything is about scaling, scaling, scaling. How, how can we scale? But then for them to do that seems like they've obviously had an internal think about like, why, why would they do that? So I think, you know, everyone's just having a bit of a readjust from, you know, top to bottom of yeah. the industry. Yeah. I, th <laughs> I think that's, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think to your point, you know, a you know, there's 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 always this kind of almost meme that you know, in in bear markets, great businesses are born and and yeah. great businesses are built. I, I I would actually suggest that it's a combination of great businesses that are built whenever just are able to weather the storm. They understand how to do that. Founders, you know, really great founders um, will understand exactly as you said, like where do they need to cut costs, where do they need to tighten their belts, but also how can they either look for different pots of capital do they maybe take a bit of additional dilution just to make sure they have that you know additional six months 12 months runway or whatever it is and these are the decisions that like sensible founders will make uh, in order to make sure that you know they can keep the ship afloat and keep things going chris I i'd love to understand from you actually you know just taking a lead for, from from that for a second you know in a market like this where everything is that much tougher and actually like you know if, if you are a vc backed business Ultimately, you are on that roller coaster where you are looking to, you know, looking forward to your next round, your Series A, your Series B, whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, whereas over the last 10 years, we've had the whole kind of growth at all costs mantra where you could just throw money at marketing up and to the right, like use acquisition was all that mattered. Now, you know, a lot of VCs that I'm talking to that I'm close with, you know, will, will sit there and tell, you know, tell me that, well, yes, you know, growth is still really important, but so, you know, economics, so you've got to grow and you've got to grow sustainably, which is a hell of a lot harder, right? <laughs> like if you're not, if you're not, if you're not uh, losing, if you're not losing money out of your unit economics, then, um, you know, growing sustainably uh, becomes that much uh, more difficult. So I'd love to understand from you, Chris, like, what are the things that you are learning or have adapted in, in the business as you're starting to scale or continue to scale? Like, what are the things that you've done? And how, how are you navigating that sort of that, that scenario right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you're absolutely right. Um, it certainly is more challenging growing with the fundamentals working as opposed to simply buying growth. But um, uh, for us, as, a, as I said, the whole team now as well, we're, we're getting to a really strong place with regards to our mindsets on 
essentially marginal gains and improvements and and, and it's a, a simple thing to label but i'll give some examples in a second um but apply this across particularly on the sort of sales and customer side of things which is your revenue generating functions but even across other parts of the business we should every single week be able to do more in the same amount of time or do the same thing in a shorter amount of time in, in the simplest sense right if we're laser focused on the outcomes that are highest impact for our business and the problems we can solve for the people who have the money to, to pay us to solve them and we keep iterating improving necessarily over time our unit economics and our efficiency will go up indefinitely pretty much right and it's about having that mindset as a team that we do habitually twice weekly as a team across each function and then individually with our own workflows push feedback aggressively not aggressively that's the wrong words <laughs> positively to the wider team which is that anyone can give feedback on a certain process particularly ones that they are the most um, attuned to there are team members who do more of certain bits of work than i do by a long way for sure and therefore they are the most experts at that piece of work and if they can find a way to make themselves able to do their job 10% better in a third of the time, that's a fantastic efficiency gain and means they can do more other components of their role that they otherwise previously couldn't have done, right? So um, particularly we found recently on the kind of marketing, uh, content marketing, content creation side of things, and on the outbound sales uh, kind of lead generation and uh, pipeline building side of things, looking at our metrics and tracking over time. We've just onboarded some, some new um, staff here, obviously, in the ramp phase, but stripping them out, we'd be able to do more and more with the same amount of people and yeah. the same amount of spend on tooling through this, this mindset. And to be honest, it's a, to your point, actually, Arish, about a great business to build any time of a cycle. It's just the right now, only the great ones are going to survive. This kind of situation forces us as, as company operators to, to work with this kind of mindset and approach. And that's only a good thing. It's actually lazy to build a business based on being able to raise millions and spend it on ads. It's much better to build it based on fundamental great execution. Yeah, hundred percent, and and we've seen that you know again and again. We've obviously seen a lot of uh, you know the 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 businesses that um, you know made a killing during the the pandemic, and and obviously have come crashing down since. Um, but uh, I I think the thing that actually really excites me is we'll have a whole generation of future founders coming through these startups and scale ups like Good Course right now. Um, you know where your team, you know maybe in three five years time, you'll have you know your head of product or uh, you know one of your growth team or or, or even one of your product uh, product people, you know, jumping off and 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 starting to um, build their own businesses, and hopefully they'll have learned those lessons around building sustainably. Exactly, exactly as you say there. One of the things I'd I'd, I'd really love to understand is we've had actually Sidi Mittal from Why Hungry on 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 the podcast before, and she talked a little bit about her experience of. Um, uh, of Y Combinator, uh, I'd love to understand kind of the benefit that you're seeing from going through that. We don't really have, you know, a, a, a very similar program here in the UK. There's obviously Entrepreneurs First, Founders Factory, those sort of uh, those sort of the, the names that that would spring to most people's minds. So, what is it that you know Ycom brings to you, and what are you getting out of it as a as a founder? Yeah, a really great question. I think putting aside the fairly obvious um kind of like seal of approval brand components Exposure, the, yeah. the um candidate and customer side of things which shouldn't be understated um in terms of the kind of actual mechanics of, of what we're kind of experiencing and learning so far i think interestingly it's teaching us a fair amount more as founders about the importance of resilience and of keeping uh your kind of i guess 
emotional uh, excitement about the problem you're solving, the value you can add to the world at the heart of your why as to why you do it. Because in the end, it is a roller coaster that lies ahead. Even the best companies, we hear regularly each week if we want to join webinars from some of the best companies we've found in the last five, 10 years. We're talking Deal, um, Brex, Rippling, companies that are literally like absolutely killed it, right? And even in their stories, it is like shocking how much goes wrong, how many ups and downs there are, right? So like that's what it looks like when it goes amazingly. Okay, cool. It's really important to find your why and build that resilience early on. I think also if there are some things as a business you, you, you're entirely new to, uh, let's say, for example, you're wanting to hire first employees in the US as a, as a UK-based business and, and uh, kind of operationally set up, there's a bit you can obviously learn by Googling, but in the end, a half hour call with a founder who's a year or two ahead of you who's done that recently is going to actually shortcut a lot of the, the kind of learnings and things not to do quite fast. So there are a few things like that you can lean on, but for the most part, the answer is simply, there are no silver bullets. There's not like, a, oh, here's the manual. Like, this is how you build a business. Go do this. It's it's actually really a, a framework and a mindset of execution rapidly on the highest impact things that matter for the, the goals that, that at this stage of business, your business really um, move the needle. So I um, hope that's a fairly sensical answer overall. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's interesting you say that. So like over Christmas, I dropped a... Uh, a LinkedIn post that went viral. And it was just 100 lessons I'd learned over the last 20 years operating as CEO and CFO. And what was really interesting to me was that people um, really engaged with that because for once it was, it was to your point, a bit of a framework. It was a bit of a, look, here are the things that you need to look out for rather than kind of platitudes about, you know, uh, if you're looking to grow, have the lean mindset or whatever it is, right? Like all, all of that guff that, that, that we see all too often. Uh, and, and interestingly, you know, given you're in the micro learning business, uh, I, I, off the back of that launched a very short form pod, uh, off balance, which we're releasing daily, like two, three minutes of short form. Here, here's the lesson. This is, this is how I applied it in my life or the, the, why I learned it in the first place. And it's incredible the kind of um, uh, feedback that we're getting on off the back of that. And I think I think it is really important, exactly as you say, there is no magic silver bullet. There is no, you know, I did it this way, therefore it's exactly going to be the same for you. It's just about learning those lessons, learning, you know, where other others have potentially fallen down and how they've gotten back up again, and how you could apply that to your business in a current circumstance, or how you could avoid potentially doing doing some of the so same things. Uh, yourself. So I think, I think, yeah, absolutely. That makes a huge amount of sense. Uh, Reese, coming back to you for a second. So uh, I've often had a bit of a uh, concern, let's say, for the pre-seed market here in the UK, like, you know, it tends to be filled by angels. Uh, obviously, we have really great tax incentives for, um, you know, high net worth investors or angel investors in general uh, through the government's SEIS and EIS programs. But we don't really have a lot of institutional capital. And what, what I tend to see, therefore, is, uh, you know, obviously that leads to a lot of businesses being created, but the sort of businesses that can really go through a growth journey, um, and, and access that kind of institutional capital tends to be relatively limited. Is there a reason you think that at pre-seed we don't have that same level of institutional capital other than obviously just the size of the market, but that same level of institutional capital as say the US does? Um, and, and why is it that you guys decided to focus, laser focus, I guess, on that pre-seed market? Because even other pre-seed funds that are out there tend to be pre-seed plus seed and maybe dabble in a bit of series A as well. So it'd be great to understand from you, Reese, like why pre-seed and, and how you think, you know, that is going to evolve and, and, and could be improved. 
Yeah, I, th I think there's a, there's a number of reasons for that. I think there's a lot of legacy issues typically in Europe where, you know, there might be some element of risk con being risk conservative, waiting for traction before making those bets. And, they, and, and people could do that, I think, because, in you know, in days gone by, the best founders, you know, would say, you know, we're doing a pre-seed with like angels, two, three hundred thousand prove something out then kind of do like you know two to three million pound round with some of the brand names that everyone knows and are, are great firms um in europe i think what if you look at the u.s market as like you know big five six seven years ahead of us um i think if you look at a firm like first round capital uh, you know i mentioned quite a lot in, in in the u.s i think you know that is like you know proper institutional pre-seed first check um firm or firm um, in its nature and i think as the ecosystem evolves and you know we have more repeat founders i think they demand um you know a institutional firm at the earliest stage with you know little or low traction or product and i think what we're seeing more and more is we're often part of rounds um pre-seed rounds which may be slightly larger than people think so maybe 750,000 to 1 1.5 million uh, pounds and you know we had a great example this morning of a, a founder who raised 7 700,000 pre-seed round from us a year and a half ago and just missed the seed round completely and went to a US firm and did a 10 million series A which is um, Imperia which I which I mentioned at the start and so that's a great example of great founders with a little bit more execution and a firm to willing to step up and you know lead that larger pre-seed round which simply just doesn't happen that much in the uk um is a real advantage for founders who get it right and and get and also on the other side have a little bit more runway if they don't and also can go and do a great seed round with great firms like they would normally do but then also could just have that opportunity to skip that round completely and also save that di that dilution so i think that those are the reasons you know why we exist but i think also um being so focused on pre-seed allows us to be very consistent so like with chris's journey on the first kind of 12 to 18 months we were just like completely specialized in that part of the journey and that's all we did you know and that's all we do and our graduation rate to the next round is like three times more higher than the industry average because we have no conflicts of interest we're not trying to preempt your next round we're not trying to get more ownership ownership we're only going to pro rata our investment in the next round and so our tool set and our skill set as a team is just that first 12 to 18 months and i think by being so focused you can compound the learnings the founder community the interactions we're always building things we we're a startup ourselves right you know we've come from nothing we're all outsiders to vc we weren't vcs before we weren't index ventures and spun out or did anything like that so we're you know we're always thinking of ways to kind of improve ourselves and just be really focused on compounding um and i hope chris would testify to some of that stuff i've said <laughs> I have no doubt he will. I, yeah. I, 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 I'd love to understand from both of you kind of how you see the next 12 months uh, running through from both sides of the table. So, I mean, Chris, I have no idea when you when you would be planning to potentially raise your next price round. But like, what are the what are the what is some of the thinking that you're going through in terms of, um, you know, the timing of that, how you price the round, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Reese, again, from like, you know, on the venture side, what are the metrics 
that you know you would be hoping uh, that portfolio companies of yours as they graduate to that next round, you know what it, what is the sort of traction? I, I appreciate obviously you go founder first, but founder first at pre-seed works over the next couple of rounds. Obviously, you start needing to see some traction, some metrics. Now that might not be revenue, that might not be you know, anything financial per se, but it but but it is something that shows that you know there is the inkling or the start of product market fit, I guess, um, happening. So it'd be great to understand from both of you, from both sides of the table, how you're looking at like the next twelve months and you know, where you see uh, challenges or potentially opportunities, um, you know, uh, ahead of you. Who first? Either one of you, go for it, Chris. Chris must, you must be you must be laser focused on on your met you're very good at metrics you know where you're going <laughs> uh, try to be try to be yeah i think um you're absolutely right obviously in, in today's market more so than previously uh earlier in a company's life cycle metrics become more important than than um than they were 18 months ago i think also in terms of like how we optimize our kind of burn rate and uh, how we kind of spend our cash to to acquire new revenue customers and everything else. Uh, there are a few things at play here. I think we touched there in the podcast that that a bear market kind of makes you as a, a founding team actually work on the fundamentals much more than a, than a bull market, um, which is no bad thing. Um, but for us, it's a case of not pouring fuel on the fire until we're confident that the you know, the outbound sales motion we've built actually can scale effectively. Our customer acquisition onboarding process is all these things that have to be perfect they have to be good enough that we're not yeah. going to essentially waste money and climb goodwill on things that actually don't work or scale effectively right so making sure we we've optimized each key part of the business sufficiently crucially not perfectly because we'd spend years optimizing and not actually execute but making sure each component of the business is a place where actually we can then scale effectively with decent confidence and it's a good use of, of, of money and runway to do so. Candidly speaking, though, when it comes to actually thinking about the shape of the round, timing, et cetera, that's a place where you know, folks like Reese in particular are, are actually invaluable to us as founders because in the end, we know our problem space and our products and our team best than anyone else in the world. But who knows about pre-seed founders raising a seed or an A round more than me, but probably someone who works in that profession as a full-time job every day, right? So that's where actually, you know, recent and team are phenomenal when it comes to giving very open, candid and, and, and useful advice and guidance on what they're seeing in the market, where perhaps we should be tweaking or improving our, our kind of current focus to better ready ourselves for our next round. Yeah, I think that's uh, that makes a huge amount of sense. I mean, obviously, like I, I've operated as a CFO in this market for the last sort of close to a decade now, uh, and uh, we we see those changes exactly as you say, right, year on year. You know, whereas SaaS businesses were priced at whatever forty x revenue, they're now at five to ten x. You know, which which back in the day, ten x was kind of considered good, and and now you know we we've reverted back, and everyone's sort of crying into their into their coffee. But um, yeah, a hundred percent. I think you got to lean on uh, the expertise around you, and 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 that is really the kind of nature of I guess the VC uh, founder relationship is you know. On, on the one hand, you have product market uh, knowledge that you know that the, the VC is is effectively betting on, and on the other side, you you are you know um, uh, looking to them to guide you through whether it's pricing, whether it's you know which firm should we go to, which market, what what are the, you know what are the things we should be looking out for, how do we prepare our deck, you know, to to ensure we have the best chance of of securing that next round. I think that 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 makes a huge amount of sense. And, and Reese, from your side, like. What, where do you see the next 12 months going? You know, do you think founders are going to find it hardest to raise? Are you, are you slightly more optimistic than, you know, than lots of folks on Twitter? 
I'm actually slightly more optimistic. If you just look at the macro picture, the venture firms as a function of funds raised have almost never been higher ever. I think there's some ridiculous stat about how much money is on the sidelines. And for those of you who don't know how venture works, they've got to deploy that money in a certain it's time a window. That's kind of, yeah, it's the job, right? And so you can only sit on your hands and look at the macro picture for a certain amount of time before you start deploying again. So I think I'm, I'm relatively bullish with like the fact that Q1, everyone's kind of like, spending a little more time they, there's a bit of more confidence and i think you know people transactions are are, are are getting done i think what what i'm seeing is that vcs are just going re resetting to a normal environment where they're actually spending quality time with the founders like they used to do at the start of my career um and really getting to know them understand their business and have quality conversations about where the next 12 to 18 months is going if they invest and i think that's a reset to something which I think is good. And I always I always quote this, but a VC relationship is typically longer than the average person's marriage in the UK. <laughs> now and so and so Chris, I know you like me, but you're stuck with me for a while. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have so, to figure out what to do about the zebra behind his head though, Chris. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. definitely something yeah, that needs exactly. to be done. A bit of an elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and um so you know Founders should pick wisely and VCs should also pick wisely who they want to spend their quality time on this this planet, limited time with. And that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing for everybody. In terms of metrics, I think it's um, I think you you actually alluded to it in terms of the de decompression in terms of um multiples, but I think that's a multiple compression yeah. rather than a not factor of like people deploying money mm. i think founders are like not willing to take those structured rounds down rounds etc they just parked it last year we're like and i think there's going to be a bit of pain in, in people taking 100%. some medicine this year yeah. and i think so essentially money will be flowing into venture at a, at a price which people weren't expecting last year at adjustment, but a lot of deals will will, will essentially get done because I think they have to. Um, and it's just a question of what price and, and what format they're getting done. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I think, I mean, I I released something the other day, which I, I just said, like, over dilution is not a reason not to take money in a down market. Like if, if you need the money and, you know, your business, uh, your business's uh, ability to survive and grow and so on and so forth is dependent on you taking money at a lower valuation, take it. Uh, because you know that can always be adjusted down the track, but you know if your business dies, your business dies, right? That that's the end of the story. Um, so look, just as we wrap up, I'd love it if both of you could give us uh, a bit of a taste or a bit of a advice or whatever you want to call it uh, to any founders that are in the market right now, looking to either get started or, or raise their pre-seed. Let's say uh, ultimately this you know this podcast is called Nothing Ventured for a Reason. I'm a strong advocate for uh, entrepreneurial activity. I think, you know, uh, it is a great thing uh, if we can build, uh, you know, more and more businesses, certainly here in the UK and in Europe, because, uh, you know, that's only going to lead to more innovation, more jobs, more and, and ultimately also even more business, because hopefully, um, you know, teams will start uh, spinning out and, and building their own. Uh, so uh, what, what advice would you give to like, you know, a newbie founder getting into the market today? Uh, maybe if we could start with you, Reese, and then uh, Chris, if, if, if you've got your, uh, uh, your two cents, that'd be great as well. Yeah, I think, I think 
my biggest advice is, you know, as a firm that you know specialises in UK pre-seed, don't have to. There's this ecosystem of London, which is very like everyone knows each other, and I think don't be don't be afraid to kind of, you know, enter that world, speak to people, um, you know, approach people um, on a cold basis, and you know, whatever warm intro. But I think more importantly, I think it was kind of alluding to before is really pick those partners carefully don't just take money from everyone there's a lot of sharks actually out there I mean, we've seen some really you know i've seen some really bad behavior over the years um particularly at the earliest stage because people are most vulnerable i would say in a lot of ways uh so that would be you know and if, if it's not right for you then you know don't have them on the cap table like find another way and also venture isn't always the only way to go for a business it might not be suited to venture so i think really consider your options carefully run a proper process to get to know people do proper references as well i think the amount i, I released a post last year which is 10 questions you should ask your vc like everything to like pick a company yourself and reference them to be like, what did you do last for a portfolio company? You know, really it's a two way process. So really treat it, treat it like that and really get to the bottom and really look for transparency. If, you know, for example, we put our term sheet on our website so people can see it. Mm. We put everything there. We put frequently asked questions and I, I really encourage other firms. Why it's, if it why is it such a hidden thing to have not have your term sheet on your website? Right. That's quite an easy thing if you, unless you've got something to hide. Right. So um, I think really just consider like people's outward facing image. It says a lot about them and what they would be like to interact with if, you, if they invest and they invest with you. And I think the last thing I would leave with, leave everyone with is uh, take maybe lift that leap, leap out Chris's and Omar's book at good course. Cause I think since our pre seed, they barely spent them any of the money that we <laughs> gave them. They've been amazingly efficient and then also being able to grow at the same time. So I think that's a, a miraculous combination in this market. But also a good point to leave on is that also allows them to have a position of power where they were, you know, when they thought about, you know, should we go into YC, et cetera, they, they could make that decision rationally, not on the basis of, oh, we're going to get a bit of money, blah, 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 blah. They, they, they had all the control and all the power sitting there to make the right decisions for their business with plenty of runway. So I think even this, you know, Chris didn't do like a massive, massive round, but he, him and Omar were really effective in, in terms of their performance with, within the business. Cash is always king. I think that's amazing advice. I mean, the more efficient you are with your capital, the more control you have, the more ability you have to command the room and command the uh, situation. I think that that's uh, awesome advice. And, and Chris, for, for, for you, for any founders that are sort of getting started today, what would you uh, say to them? Yeah, I, so um, stepping away from the kind of fundraising capital side of things, I'd say focus so much on validating your problem. If you can get absolute conviction there is a problem out there that people are willing to pay you money to solve, that is by far the biggest thing that matters. And then second to that is how well you can execute on solving that problem. But don't get hung up on the idea, on what investors think, what, all these other distractions. In the end, what matters is there's a problem that enough people have and they're willing to pay you money to solve it. If you can get that validated, everything else becomes not easy, but possible, basically. So um, that's my two cents. Yeah, it's uh, it's that old adage, right? Get out of the room, get out of the building, talk to the customers. Um, that's uh, incredible advice. It's timeless advice. I think it's like in every market, whether it's up, down, left, or right. I think that that uh, uh, you know that's a piece of uh, piece of wisdom that all founders should take to heart all the time. 
Um, listen, Reese and Chris, it's been absolutely amazing having you here with me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we just shoot off, where's the best place for people to find you online? Uh, are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Uh, where is the best place for people to come look for you? Yeah, LinkedIn for me is my uh, most uh, shamelessly prolific social media channel. I think LinkedIn for me. And I think, Chris, do you still have your video on LinkedIn? I do indeed, yeah. Part uh, of our uh, ending there. You've got so to you got to check out Chris's LinkedIn for that video. It's brilliant. He's the only person that has a video on his profile picture, and I've still been lazy enough not to do it. So check it out. <laughs> I will definitely do that. Well, thank you, guys. It's been great having you here um, and uh, really appreciate you chatting to me. Thank Cheers, you thanks. for having me. You've been listening to Nothing Ventured. Let's get back to building.